Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 75 as we continue marching through the Psalms in our sometime series. Uh, This evening we come to uh, a psalm which is a twin of Psalm 75 in some ways, uh, but distinctive in others. Psalm 75, this is God's inspired and inerrant word. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a psalm of Asaph, a song. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds at the set time that I appointed. I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Let us pray. O our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that every word is true and sure and that you have preserved it for us, that we might have it in front of us this evening. But we pray that more than having it in front of us, we pray that it would be in us, that your word would be eaten and it would be sweeter than the honeycomb, that it would be taken to heart in life and that you might use it to transform us, that your Holy Spirit would make us more like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, Psalm 75 is like the one before. They are both compositions of Asaph as the opening set of psalms here in book three of the psalms are. It's to be sung by the choir, and so that gives us some encouragement. It lets us know that that it's not just to be sung by us as a solo. Can you imagine each of us having to stand up alone and sing? it would not be a happy sight. But rather, there's a confluence of voices and of harmony and sound. It is to be sung by the choir, and it's to be under the director of the choir master, the one who is directing, who is making sure that the tune is followed, that the words are pronunciated in the right way, that communication might occur, that we might hear and that we might feel the force of this psalm. Now what's interesting in the psalms is that the Lord has given us the words, but he in his providence has removed from us the exact notes. And so we have to judge from the the internal content and meaning and also from the unfolding progression of of revelation in the scriptures, what uh, major or minor key in which to sing, how to hear this psalm, 
what notes to listen for and to make. The name of the tune is a little strange, though. You know, it's not, um, it's not to the tune Crichton or to the tune Bays of Harris. It's sort of like singing a hymn to the tune Armageddon. Who is on the Lord's side to the tune Armageddon? And you wonder whether it's safe to sing to a tune so named. Here it's even more frightening because the name of the tune is given as Do Not Destroy. Now I haven't consulted with Gladys, but I have a sneaking suspicion that has to be in the minor key. It sounds like a dark and foreboding and pleading kind of tune sung in the context of danger. In content, this psalm is linked to the one before. They both speak about God's judgment, but not just any old abstract judgment. God's judgment of Israel for her sin. Do you remember last time we we focused on verse 20 of the previous psalm, 74? Remember your covenant. Have regard for your covenant. And so the terms of the covenant of grace were pled in the psalm by the people of God back to Him for His mercy. Uh, This evening we come to a psalm where something very similar is happening. God speaks very directly and personally about judgment. And we are taught by the psalmist to say, to avoid destruction, we must draw near to God. To avoid destruction, we must draw near to God. Now, the psalm opens on kind of a thanksgiving theme. Take comfort in times of trouble in God and give thanks to His holy name. Verse 1 reads, We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. You know, just having been through the Thanksgiving season, we could play that little word game. If I say thanksgiving, what do you think of? I suspect it would start with T and rhyme with whatever turkey rhymes with. Uh, Maybe you slipped a little ham on the side or this is Texas and barbecue brisket is always appropriate for any meal. But there was probably turkey and dressing and some kind of cranberry sauce in one form or another. Uh, Was there potato salad or mashed potato? No telling what you had on your table, but something like that. And we all gather together and and we hear, even in the marketplace, we hear references to the fact that this is a time and a season when we need to give thanks, and indeed it is. It's a national holiday. It's one in which uh, we get time off in order to give thanks. But of course, in a secularizing post-Christian society, there's an elephant in the room. Who in the world are we giving thanks to? Uh, You know, God is not one of those words that can be spoken in the public square with great happiness these days. They they don't want to hear about God. They, uh, They will use Him periodically in American civil religion as it suits their political ends, but some heartfelt thanks to God. God is a personal being. God is a judge of the world to whom we're accountable and from whom our blessings flow. That, well, that's a very alien concept to the modern mind. And we do well to stop and to think 
To whom are we to give thanks? Well, the psalmist Asaph leaves us in no doubt. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks to your name forever. Here is an affirmation of the deity of God. It's an emphasis upon His divine person. He is all power, all powerful. He is the one to whom everyone owes their existence. And then there's this talk of His name. His name being near to us and having given a general description of what He's like as His title, we then are invited to think about those more personal and salvific things that He has done for us. We give thanks for your name is near, the people of God are to sing. In other words, we are to be appreciative and thankful to God for what He has done for us, and particularly what He's done for us in salvation. And Asaph is putting words into the mouth of the choir and the choir director and all the congregation that sings along. We are to give thanks to God for His great covenant of grace and all of His mighty saving arm, This is another way of saying exactly what was said in the chapter before. Remember the covenant, O God. We're giving thanks to Him for His provision of salvation and that He has done all that is necessary to achieve our salvation. He goes on and says, We recount your wondrous deeds. And so God's name is linked to redemptive history, to the unfolding blessings that He gives His people down through the ages. Starting with our first father Adam, when he did not receive the sentence which would have been just, immediately executed, he did not eat and then immediately die, but God made room, made room for salvation, made room for His covenant of grace after His covenant of works, and gave that first promise of the Savior to come, the seed of the woman who would bring salvation to His people. Oh, remember God's mighty deeds all down through the history of Israel. Remember Moses and the great symbols and the great teaching of salvation in the Mosaic Law. Remember David and the temple being constructed in the wake of his passing by his son Solomon. The grandeur of it reminding and foreshadowing and instructing and preparing for the coming of Christ Jesus our Lord and Jesus, the foundation of the church, the one who's the chief cornerstone, the the prophets and apostles extending His ministry, the whole house of salvation for us, this great covenant house of grace, indeed is what we ask God to remember and that we might remember His good great and great deeds as well taking comfort in Him in time of trouble. For you see, this Thanksgiving celebration that the psalmist calls us to is not something that just kind of happens in the abstract or, or gee, the the proper Thursday's rolled around, so I guess we'll cook a turkey again. The name of the tune and some of the content, its, its sharp and pointed nature, leads us to reasonably conclude that this psalm was composed and sung on occasion of grave danger in the life of Israel. We're not told in the psalm particularly what. Uh, The Lord's told us a lot. He's told us that it's a psalm 
And he's also told us that it's a song, as if we had any doubt, one about the other. He's told us who the composer is. He's told us that it's to be given to the choir director and that the, the choir is therefore to sing it and the tune is even named. But we are not told the historic events surrounding Jerusalem and in the life of Israel which prompts this cry out to God for His protection and salvation. And this call to the people of God to avoid destruction by drawing near to the Lord. Oh, take comfort in times of trouble in the Lord. And then things change in the psalm. It's one of those subtle changes that you might not recognize at first, that it actually helps to read the psalm out loud or even sing it. It's as if you're attending a performance of the Messiah and one of the soloists steps forward and he begins to sing. Here, it is God who steps forward. There's a shift to the first person. And the Lord God Almighty takes center stage and He accommodates our weakness by not just sending preachers to preach at us, but He Himself takes the microphone and He sings to us and He enchants our heart that we might hear and take to heart His good word of salvation. He says in verse 2, At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keeps steady its pillars. And then the inspired text tells us to stop and to pause and to ruminate upon the text. It's sort of like what I did yesterday with our family cranberry apple casserole traditional holiday meal dish. You take a forkful and you put it in your mouth and you don't just swallow. You chew and you chew and you chew again. You really hate to swallow because it tastes so good. Here the Lord gives us a morsel of truth about Himself and about ourselves and He calls on us in the text to shelah, to stay, to stop, to reflect and wait. And so he calls us here in the second movement in the psalm to listen to the Lord. We are told by God that he will judge on time. At the set time that I appoint, he says. You know, you click open your browser and I, I don't know what your web browser might be. Perhaps you're a uh, perhaps you're a Microsoft person or a Mozilla Firefox person or, or one of these other boutique kind of special browsers. And, and you probably have a, a number of news services that you click on. Um, you know, tell it not in Gath. I like to read the Wall Street Journal and I even look at the New York Times. I don't always read it, but I do at least look at it and see what they're saying. And the Washington Post, and, and then there's a, a German and a British paper. I like to click on those and see what's happening in the world. And, and then there's Real Clear Religion, which has all manner of things from, from across the religious spectrum in America and around the world. It's fun to read these things and to start your day with a cup of coffee, learning about what's happening in the world and all the worries that we have about what the Fed will or will not do, about 
what protesters might do next, what what the president or the Congress or the governor or or what's going to happen overseas in North Korea or in the Middle East. Uh, All of these worries and things here the Lord teaches us that at the set time that He appoints, He will bring judgment and it will come to pass. It's not just the end of history to which He refers. All of history is proleptically conditioned to that end that He has appointed. All the way along, He is the God who judges on time, at the right time, in the right place, in just the right way. He goes on to tell us that I will judge with equity. We don't need to fear about whether He'll get it right or wrong, whether He'll get it uh, just a little too sweet or a little too bitter. He knows all and sees all, and He will level the field. God judges also decisively, and He reminds us of that fact, the surety of His decision, and how fundamentally foundational and true it is by drawing an analogy about our world. He's the Creator. He's the providential sustainer. He's the sovereign governor of our world. And He promises us when the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. The Lord is the Lord of creation. The Lord is the Lord of history. And He holds all things together in our world that they might reach to His appointed end at just that time that He might judge in just His way that's true and right. Oh, God acts to judge. And so He acts to save His people according to His covenant promises. And then after the Lord sings his solo, it seems that Asaph himself is inspired to step to the center of the stage. And he sings a digression that confirms what the Lord himself has said. He reflects on what God has said and sums it up for us, not because he's greater than God, because he is speaking, carried along by the Holy Spirit, And these two are the inspired words of God. He says, uh, beginning in verse 3, When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty necks. And here the psalmist begins to sing. And he says, for not from the east or from the west, not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up the other. And so Asaph confirms for us that God judges in his sovereignty, that his mighty hand stretches out over the history of our world, and that in each and every event he is the one who is moving history along in his sovereign way to its appointed end. And in verse 8, he emphasizes for us the fact that he is the Lord who brings judgment on the wicked. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed. He pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. And so there is a picture of God handing in his sovereign power and right 
a cup to His creature, His creature who is rebellious, His creature who is sinful, and He must drink from the foamy and wrath-filled vessel. Now next week when you go into Starbucks and you get a cup of coffee, think about that. When you have a latte and and you, you, before you put the top on and, and you just want to make sure that all that foam just is right, you remember that God is the one who prepares not a sweet drink, not a, not a Christmas mix, but He prepares for those that will not love Him. He prepares a foamy cup of judgment. But for the righteous, you see, He adds His sweetener. For the righteous, He changes the character of the drink. It is a Christmas mix that we enjoy. For indeed, He takes that wrath and He takes that cup and He holds it up to the lips of His own Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He is the one who takes that cup and drinks it to the dregs. Jesus did so voluntarily and in full knowledge. As He sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed that the cup might pass from Him. But in the end, His human mind and human will, they did the right thing. They submitted to the divine will in mind. Not my will be done, but Thine, O Lord. And so He got up and He marched to the cross and He allowed Himself to be there nailed and to suffer and die. He despised the shame. He embraced the suffering that we might not drink the cup of wrath but rather that we might have a delightful Christmas treat. Salvation, sweet and sure, that we might enjoy from everlasting to everlasting, that every drop would be a blessing from God and there would be no dregs to ever reach for His covenant love and His grace gives and gives and keeps on giving. That's one Starbucks cup I'd love to drink. One payment made, and it never, ever runs out. Oh, listen to the Lord. Listen to the Lord, because He has great things in store for His people. And finally, the psalmist calls us to remember what's important. He pushes our hearts hard again. But I will declare it forever, he says. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. Here, we are reminded that God always wins, even with dangers all around and troubles, perhaps being the the human occasion to prompt the sleepless night and, and the composition of this psalm under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We hear the psalmist ending on a positive note. God wins. God always wins and we His people, if we trust in Him, we win with Him. And that's something worth shouting about and worth singing about at the top of our voices. I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. And then He glances over at the wicked. All the horns of the wicked will be cut off. But the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Their party will be short. There will be pleasure for a season. And then there will be judgment 
from the fire of God. But our party will continue. Our celebration, our day of thanksgiving will stretch on and on and on for there will be no more night. There will be no sun or moon. We will live in glory in His presence forever. We will fellowship with Him unbroken. We will see Him face to face. We will rejoice in the splendor of the new heavens and new earth and new Jerusalem. Oh, remember what's important as you walk the road of this life. A road that is rocky. A road that is painful. A road through a fallen world. And a life that is not all that it should be. But rather you go towards that celestial city. You march by His grace and in His strength. And there you will find that cup of blessing that will never, ever end. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our most gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we ask for Your blessing even as we go through a world full of wicked, evil, and judgment. We thank You that You're the Sovereign Lord, uh, that You do things at just the right time, that we have no need to fear, but rather that we should trust in You and we look and long to see You face to face. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, we pray. Amen.